Hi, everyone. Uh, we're joining us in this video series to try to unpack the current state of upskilling in technology with technology leaders and also learning and development leaders. The conversations that we will have aim to provide actionable uh, insights to fellow leaders on making skills their workforce's competitive advantage. Today, uh, I am very happy to welcome Ashley Fernandez, who is the head of data and AI at Maxis. Ashley, you've done some great work, and we've, you know, we're very happy to have you with us today. Thanks, thanks, Ken, for having me. Um, you know, it's been an exciting journey, uh, as I can say. Uh, and um, I'll probably want to share a bit more about my experience of setting up this foundation in Maxis for any fellow uh, peers that probably will require some form of insight or another to basically carry on their journey as well. Yeah, excellent. So we'll dive right in and you have a lot of wise words to share with us. Uh, before we jump into upskilling, I want to actually ask you something that is more about yourself. Uh, how do you okay. stay ahead of yourself? Uh, is there any one uh, podcast, influencer, blog, book, conference that you would suggest peers that are leading uh, transformations across other enterprises to read, re review, watch, uh, or listen to? Okay. Um, um, if you can just give me two minutes, let me just show you what, what that actually would look like in my world. Show me. <laughs> okay. So I'm actually in a hotel um, trying to figure out, uh, you know, a lot of things about where I would want to learn and capture. But, but these are all the materials that I carry with me everywhere I go. I, I think you can't really see. Uh, so that's <laughs> one on cybersecurity. There's another on cloud computing. There's another you may on wanna, accelerating. <laughs> you may want to remove the, uh, I think, the blur in the background. I think if you can remove the blur in the background. Let me see how do I do that. <laughs> no, because... because uh, that's a good okay. one. Ah, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so so I have one accelerating on the cloud. I have another on cloud computing. I have another on cybersecurity. So, so wherever I go, uh, there's this series of um, um, materials that I carry along every time. So, you know, at any moment I have that I'm actually having some free space and time, I just want to be able to maximize it to basically do a bit of downloads. So, so that's, that's primarily one. The other thing that I also am keeping myself in check is I'm in my, my second year of my PhD in AI, uh, focusing on cognitive science. So I've been a huge, um, I, I have huge passion when we talk about you know, customer behavior, behavioral analytics, and how do you actually apply it to apply the AI? So this series of um, source materials keeps me probably in check. So, and, and then you've got this huge, huge, huge content that comes from very various sources People like yourself, Kian, uh, Andrew, and you know all those guys that put in a lot of content to basically go in and source information and keep yourself up to date. So that, that's what I do to keep myself primarily in check about what's happening in the space of tech and AI. <laughs> Hope good. that helps. Do you when you when you buy a book like that, do you do you read it end to end? You skim through it, diagonal reading. How do you really grasp as much content as possible in a short amount of time? So, so, um, um, so that's a funny thing, right? Uh, a, a lot of people, uh, uh, the ones that I know of, they usually used to read one, one book and then they finish one at a time. I would do where I'll read two, three at one given point in time. And, and, and why I like to do that is that I, I feel that just, just picking, say, a simple topic like cybersecurity, reading three books at one go, it gives you some form of affirmation bias. 
uh, where where you kind of understand, okay, that's exactly what book one said, and and you kind of know that's the whole gist of it. You can actually skim through pretty fast because your knowledge just becomes quite 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 solid in a very short space of time. So I I do a lot of them, and and that gets me up to about twelve fifteen books a year, uh, just to basically hit some milestones. Excellent, yeah. excellent, good, good, good. Well. Um... I, I think it's a great, great insight that you you're reading books very rapidly and multiple books at a time. Uh, so what one thing that you did at Maxis is really these uh, large scale transformations like company wide transformation. And those are multi year mandates. It's like it's not a small project by any means. It's yeah. very large. My, my first question is, how do you get started with an AI and data transformation? Okay, um, um, this this would probably bring us back to when we first started our journey in 2018, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's when I came in and, and you know we started the role, and and there was you know practically uh, uh, we we were in a very infancy stage, yeah. and um, I I think uh, I started off by doing a lot of experimentations about uh, you know the the feel and and not so much about the data just yet. Just about the feel and the appetite about you know uh, what is the business actually looking for, understanding the real business construct, and trying to see where applied AI analytics data would actually have the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And and to be able to do so, you know, a one man evangelist is not going to be able to achieve those kind of outcomes. It requires us to basically have very strong partnerships with our business counterparts. And this this in you know pushed me to be able to push past my comfort zone where I needed to really get to know my CFO. I really got to know what my CIO was thinking, what the chief commercial officers was thinking. We, I had to understand the organizational constructs of what the objectives were. And once I've able to do so, I, I could bridge my team, which is, is just real technical data science folks, you've got the technical data, to really understand that. You see, you, you, if you're going to build a data warehouse, we got to basically build it in a way that meets a lot of these objectives. You're going to build some models, we better build these models exactly that fits in in this kind of book. Uh, we 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 that we did that for about you know a year and a year and a half, and and it didn't require us like like twenty thirty wins in order for us to get the the, the buy in. Mm -hmm. You know when you've already built that relationship, you understand what the business should do. One two big accomplishments. Uh, so we we were fortunate to be able to build things that helped us in our cash flow, helped us increase our top line uh, you know uh, uh, revenue when it comes to our base marketing. Those things was enough and exemplary to basically be you know, push down from our top management to say that this is exactly what we're going to do. This is the only way forward. The number of things that a machine learning model could do and the number of data points you could actually see and scan in one point in time to basically make series of predictions is going to become something that's going to be, uh, you know, beneficial to the company. Let's make this a mainstream event, not a side project, not an experimental project. And that really pushed forward mm. uh, Maxis and, and then we built the whole foundation as we went along. Very yeah. interesting. So, if I understand, um, when you start from scratch, you're trying to identify certain projects that will be not yeah. only high business value, but also high visibility. And it turns out that uh, both can be aligned. When you drive yeah. high business value, you also get a lot of visibility, but you make it a, a company-wide thing, a, a real a milestone project for the company so that it doesn't look like a side project. Uh, exactly. I see, I see, I see. And. Uh, how long do these projects take? Like, what is the right size? If you if you start a project, I imagine that lasts three years to see the outcome. Uh, then you cannot really build the momentum, right? Okay, so 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 brilliant question because um, the, the uh, when we when when we first started, uh, you know, there was no um, you know kind of um, push about 
how long this uh, a project that's going to be involving data transformation, machine learning, the, you know, data science practice is going to be able to take. So we, we have we have actually taken projects that uh, that went on for about a year and a half, and 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 there was no end to it, right? And 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 this could be really high value projects. And then there, uh, uh, there were projects that were basically probably the impact was small, but probably will finish in about a month or two. So uh, what we have actually done was that we, 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 we simplified the approach and we wanted everybody to be able to have a, a standardized way of how you look at a data science practice. So, so for example, here was that you know, we, we implemented things like, okay, there's gonna be a six phase approach on how we do machine learning. For every project that happens, it's gonna take us about one and a half months. So in a one and a half months, you can basically start from how you identify an opportunity to first you get to your first POC. So that your proof of concept and, and you get business involved in that one and a half months. So you get them excited. You get them planning preparations for that POC just to show them how, how these things and how much of elevated value you get. Now, past that, that POC phase, then you talk about operationalizing these models. That's that part, they, 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 they would not be too pressured about uh, because, because you're going to operationalize these models, you need my ML engineers, data engineers to be able to come in, but the value has already been in. And then actually you get more support at that point in time because they have seen the value. They've actually said it takes some time to basically productionize this because I need this to be able to use. So we built a systematic way of how we get models into production and we've got that, that, that whole phase approach adaptable to the business as well. So that, that's how we can. Kind of, so, yeah. Great, great, great. I understand. So the, uh... So, so we, we have several things that we need to talk about here because your direct team are sort of the top practitioners in AI and machine learning in the org. But really, um, when you talk to me the uh, first time about your data and AI transformation plan, it's not just this group. It's actually a broader organization. And they yeah. all sort of need to be interfacing with that technology. So right now we're talking about top technical projects. How do you think uh, about the rest of the people that may not be directly working on this project? So um, when, when, when you're absolutely right, uh, the team that I work with and the team that's with me, it's my top data scientists, engineers mm -hmm. that's actually mm -hmm. working. And, and as we, we, we hit this point where we're starting to scale, so we're talking about multiple models that's basically getting productionized a year. Okay. Now, the, 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 the broader community, and we call them the spokes members, the business spokes members, that's basically being using these models calls, these models output, and basically making bigger decisions, needed a, a longer uh, curve to be able to understand what these models are actually doing. Yeah. And, and that was the time that we would never include them in a process. So what we, we, we've seen that we started to do was that we've, we needed to find a bridge, a bridge where... Uh, you know, when we write complex codes, we got to basically reduce the number of technical vomit. So there was a lot of technical jargons. There's a lot of technical depths that you probably need to understand before you can actually use this kind of thing. So I, I use it. I, I use this term called, you know, data and AI comprehension. So we had to find a sweet spot so that spokes team will be able to understand and appreciate. So we brought them into the community and we ran, uh, you know, data and AI workshops internally to basically let them understand that, there's a, there's a way that how you see this model is not really a black box. You can actually understand them. We can basically simplify code, put it into a nice UI, UX, into an app that you can basically play with those levers. There was a community of practice, uh, Kian, that we've started to do for about a year and a half. And, and then you got all the spokes team involved. And the more, the, the more they got involved, especially those that basically believed in what the, the capabilities are, 
they got very engaged and they wanted to be at the forefront of the planning of how these models would basically be used rather than waiting for the end outcome at the end of that cycle. So, so that, that really, really, really changed uh, how we've operated and brought the spokesmembers in. Great, great, great. So if I summarize you, you have a hub and spoke uh, organizational model and your hub is really top practitioners that are almost like uh, working on AI project, but also enablers for the rest of the spokes team to also yeah. get their hands dirty with, with uh, um, uh, AI projects, right? Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. And uh And so now we, we talk about the organizational model. Uh, we also need to talk about uh, skills uh, because upskilling is a huge part of it as well as hiring. Uh, can you tell me more about uh, when you start an AI and data transformation, you have a, maybe a small hub that is not that big and, and you have big plans. Uh, how do you grow that team, retain that team, upskill that team? What, are, what was your strategy on the hub side? Um, okay. Um Uh, internally, um, when when we were first starting, uh, we 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 had, <clears throat> uh, I, I mean, it was a very infancy type practice where, you know, where we we would probably arrange uh, you know Friday sessions to talk about okay these are the the latest you know releases about some some uh, new airflow uh, you know capabilities and you know how were we going to basically incorporate it so we had we had mere discussions. And 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 uh, discussions about and then you know trying to do some level of you know innovation projects and trying to see okay I think these kind of capabilities will fit what we're actually currently doing but those things won't scale uh, we 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 had a mixed diversified skill sets we were never looking at talent or, or the existing team's capabilities uh, at the point of them coming in so so everybody would have a very subjective opinion about oh this text text I could use it very differently based on the, how much they've actually learned and how much they actually know. And, and how we, we've managed to, you know, kind of uh, figure that part out was that uh, we changed where uh, understanding the real technical skill sets of very senior, mid-senior to junior members. Mm -hmm. And then what we wanted to do was that basically have some level of mentoring capabilities and you get the, the, the very senior members to basically drive discussions that's on the forefront of innovation and tech. So for an example where... We talk about new releases of, uh, you know, uh, when you talk about two different frameworks like TensorFlow and, and PyTorch, for example. So, so everybody, it's very, you know, it's, it's keen to use uh, TensorFlow to be able to build their models. But there's a new emerging way that people say is that PyTorch has a better framework and you can basically do better parallelization. And, 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 and you got to bring these discussions in and basically get junior members to be able to be able to understand, appreciate and probably go and test. So, so that was a, just a simple ecosystem of what we've done. But, but a lot of this, in, in my point of view, how I've seen in the last two or three years was that it could not scale. So we had to figure out uh, platforms and, and you know, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to stumble upon a platform like Workera because a platform like Workera gave us an opportunity of identifying skills and, and you can basically use that data to basically pair it to basically content and topic. So you know somebody that's very niche in, for example, something related to neural network, they've understand the real principles of how to apply. And you can basically bring that use the data of who I know and basically put it to someone that is probably requiring a bit more help and basically having conversations with them. So I felt that having that environment where bringing teams together uh, and understanding who everybody's strengths and weakness and you know having topics around them has actually helped to basically put skills in check for the whole team and the whole practice within the whole theory. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. So if I if I uh, see if I understand you, you say that the 
the first starting point is to understand our skills, like where are we at? Yeah. And then once we start to generate that skill signal as a team, especially in the hub, uh, we can start doing a ton of things like matching mentors to uh, uh, to mentees, uh, bringing more senior people to talk to more junior people and direct the conversation on certain topics that we have identified as gaps. Uh, that, that makes sense. And how about uh, tying that into... Uh, upskilling versus hiring is that uh, something at Maxis that is completely separate? Is that something that is uh, completely intertwined? How do you you see these two things that are two talent strategies? Um, okay, <clears throat> so I, I'm excited about this question because um, uh, we we started as the pilot to be able to bring upskilling and hiring as one. So we, we the, the whole center of excellence was the pilot that we use as a mechanics mm-hmm. as a benchmark for the entire organization. So how that worked was that. Uh, there was always uh, ambition of how do we datafy our employees mm. and, and to be able to datafy the employees. And that, that started with the hub. I, there, there's, there's a, a And what do you mean by datafy? Uh, if you can explain what, what you mean by datafy. Um, For example, if it's me, I would want to be able to measure my communication skills, my skills in maths, my skills in analytics, my skills in machine learning, data, AI, analytics. So, so there's a lot of these core modules that basically I'm able to datafy so that I can give Ashley a singular score. So that, that was really my <clears throat> ambition of what I, I, I aim to do. And, and, then, and then in a very elementary way, we started to you know, see everybody's uh, you know, competency when it comes to code, Every, everybody's competency of knowing how many number, number of models you can have you actually productionalized. And even when you talk about models, there's so many themes of, 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 of types of use cases, recommended systems, computer vision, NLP. So, so how many domains do you actually take? So we tried to datafy that in our first few years. And, and every time there were, if there was a hiring or a new member or a, a, or a replacement that we probably needed to rehire, we, we go back to these artifacts or repository that we have and try to say that, okay, if, if Kian left, so this was his historical skill sets. Let me see. I think this, and it's always this thing. I think, I think, I think, right? Because somebody that's evaluating you in that skill set was another, uh, another member that basically did the assessment anyway. So, so we, we did a lot of them and then, uh, but, but I think that gave us the, the, the opportunity of imagining why and how important it is to understand the skill sets at present and it continuously needs to be in because uh, what somebody's skill set was six months ago, it's probably very, very different now and because we don't know that person's pathway of the project, the experiential learning, uh, other courses that they personally take. So their present skill set actually matters. And then you're talking about every new members that's coming in is also going through the same assessment platform. So everything needs to be consistent. And if you bring these two things together, you can basically bring um, real value. And the measure that we use here, Kian, uh, that, that we, we created was that how fast can somebody come in into an organization and get into action within the shorter space of time? So that, that's up, the time. Ramp, onboarding and ramp up. Exactly. So, so if you can, and, and we've seen that actually work. We've actually seen that by having uh, the right platform that knows how to assess and you can basically benchmark with your existing talent pool, mm-hmm. you could actually see that person getting into action in the vision in the shorter space of time. So that was the visionary thing that we had a long time ago, but, but then we've got a platform now that's actually doing and you know which platform that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, f- fantastic. So, so basically you, you benchmark your team 
Uh, you use those assessments also externally for job applicants. And now you can decide who will be the most valuable to what team. And you, you, you identify that there is an impact on the time to ramp, time to value uh, for a, a, a starting employee. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, got it, got it. Amazing. And so on the on the hub side, I, I completely understand what's going on now. And on uh, if we shift to the spoke for a second, uh, yeah. you you mentioned earlier one of the things that that you invested a lot of time and effort and uh, in approaching is to get buy-in from yeah. uh, corporate leaders. How do you get buy-in, and how what's your advice for other data and AI leaders to get buy-in from broader uh, leaders? Okay. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just uh, probably throw in an, uh, an actual example of what, what really worked uh, for me um, and in my experience here. Uh, 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 when, when, uh, when we first started, uh, multiple use cases, and, and I think I gave you an example where I, I tried to be able to build relationship with our senior executive to understand really what their thoughts were. So not every senior executive would be uh, uh, a believer of data science, machine learning, AI, and data. So... Uh, and 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 it could be quite intimidating because you'll probably go knocking every door and say you know like like tell me what's your biggest pain point. That 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 could be that could be uh, you know uh, uh, angles where there probably there's no opportunity in the eyes of a, a senior executive. And and then and then uh, but but you 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 know I think you have to be relentless and you probably got to really understand exactly what uh, uh, the business constructs of all these executive leaders. I stumbled upon a very, very interesting use case that involved the company's cash flow, mm -hmm. and it was you know it was at a time of the pandemic, and and you know, uh, um, and I felt there was a huge opportunity to basically build uh, you know machine learning capabilities in this one specific topic, and 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 the, the the point that we wanted to ensure was that we can't take a year to basically build this full fledged capability. We have to do it at pace. We got to do it at scale. And we, 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 we need to be able to identify exactly what are the most important levers of measurement of success. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, I think that's the part that I uh, you know, held with my team to be able to ensure that everything that we do, it's always constantly realigned back to, uh, and, and this topic was actually, since it's cash flow, it was actually involving our CFO. And to ensure that everything is in line, everything is in check, everything goes that's aligned to the business value not a metric that we are trying to do on the machine learning space. So we, we carved out that use case. We've actually went in, we deployed, and I got the senior executive to be able to be in, in that planning, execution, and evaluation from, this, from start to finish. And I think, I think that opened up uh, a different angle for, for uh, my, 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 my CFO to be able to understand. I understand what you're saying because, you know, there was a lot of hype about machine, your, your machine learning is going to be a black box. We demystified it. Uh, I want to understand all the signals that decides your prediction. We demystified it. That constant rearticulation back and simplifying this tech jargon helped us build a, a, you know, a very strong relationship. And, and that brought a propelling effect to all the senior leaders. And, and I think that was, the, I think, the biggest win for us. And I think uh, the message was that you've got to stay patient. You've got to be relentless. You've got to be bold. And you've got to spend a lot of time understanding the business problem and ensuring whatever complicated machine learning systems that you want to attempt to build, these two things is the one that's going to really make breakthroughs, not how sophisticated and how accurate your model is going to be. So I think, I think that's what we have done. And, and like I said, the propelling effect comes that you don't need to go and evangelize and say, hey, I, I've done that use case. Did you see how that Because goes? they've been, they've I, been I think, involved. Because you involve them end-to-end. Exactly. -end. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And do you, you involve them in that. 
So I, I understand the, the the story with the CFO is a great one where you from start to finish, you have them in there in the project management phase, understanding what's happening over time. Uh, yeah. Do you need to do that with all the C-level executives or the VPs, et cetera? Or do you need to do it with a handful of them in order to create value? And the more buy-in you get, the more buy-in you get, essentially. Yeah. Uh, how so, does it work? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so brilliant question. So, so if, 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 if I had the capabilities of what I have in the present, I would have datafied the entire senior executives to understand what level of comprehension does everybody have. So, so, so I, I go back to that question just before you, you raised me to give you this example was that, you see, if you can actually look at Kian's maturity level of data and AI, that basically translates to your comprehension and Ashley's uh, you know, uh, uh, maturity and comprehension level, you could actually understand that I think these two can talk. I think these two doesn't require that level of interaction because they understand the, the benefits, they understand the mechanics, they understand. But not everybody has the comprehension. So at the very beginning, if you don't have that level of maturity to be able to look at data and say, this is a good combination of a hub and spoke. This is a good combination of a non-comprehensive understanding of a VP versus a, a very strong tech leader then you need to spend a lot of more effort. So if you datafy the entire organization, you can actually see which hub and spoke is basically going to fly because the level of intellect is so high when it comes to data and AI. And I, and I think these are all the things that Maxis have actually seen. And we are quite uh, you know, uh, excited because an opportunity, I understand why the hub and spoke is not working. Level of comprehension is totally imbalanced. One is talking so high tech about, about all tech and this, and this team is just barely scratching the focus focus about what they, they understand about DNA. So, so that, that, that's how I've seen it. Very good insights. Yeah. So you need, you need the two people to be on the same page, at least to have the same level of acumen, of knowledge, of understanding yeah. of the topic in order for it to yeah. gel and work. And, exactly. uh, and so uh, I completely understand that. And if you take the example of the CFO, uh, essentially what you're saying is the CFO needs to be fluent or literate in AI yes. and data, so, so you evaluate them, which is what you did, I think, with the work error assessment. And, and yeah. then uh, uh, what is the level of uh, a comprehension that you believe someone like a, a, a CFO at a large org, uh, at a large org uh, needs? Um, I, I think, I think um, um, understanding what it could do uh, and understanding how to frame, I, I use this, this, this tagline in Maxis a lot, uh, you know, having our senior executives or VPs to be able to know how to frame an opportunity in the eyes of data and AI. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the that's minimum. And if you can actually do that, you could actually have a very big, because, because then, uh, you know, strategy at the, the top starts by identifying opportunity and framing up possibilities for Hub's team to be, because Hub will always know how to execute but identifying opportunities and where we want to basically put you know, money for, for value and time for value. I, I think that's where we, 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 we ambition to do. And, and then we started to give some level of you know, uh, top level uh, keynote sessions that I, I used to go and do to basically steer and probably excite uh, you know, and invite external parties to be able to come in and participate to educate opportunities of data and AI, say in finance, say in, in consumer marketing. So, so you've got a lot of thought leaders that come in to educate and that spurs up a different way of thinking for the senior executive because they would link their experience and what they understand on the domain and start planning uh, you know, and, and probably uh, positioning use cases that's possible and throwing it to the hub. So, so you know, when we, we started those activities, you know, I, if I just remember correctly, we used to go 
asking the whole organization, do we have use cases to build? Yeah. And, and once we have hit some level of maturity, we cannot fulfill all the requests anymore because everybody was just throwing us possibilities of use case that was just, then we needed to reprioritize. So, so we went from one, one part to the other and in just a matter of time. So, so we just, <laughs> some level of things have we done right here. So when you get the momentum, it, it just starts going and it's just building up until you, yeah. you get overflowed with project almost because the value is, yeah. is observed by, 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 by spokes teams. Yes, um, yes. Good, good, good. I, I, I completely understand. That's great. And, uh, and, and, and now uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about telco as an industry, uh, because okay. what, what, uh, what I often say is uh, skills are sort of fungible between enterprises in the sense that when you move from healthcare to energy to telco to professional services, uh, you see common skills. There's a ton of common skills, maybe, I don't know, 70 to 80 percent, that, that would be my estimate, of skills that are applicable everywhere. And then you have a certain amount of skills that are specific to an industry, maybe because of the data you deal with maybe because of the regulations of that industry can you tell us a little bit more about what is special about data and ai in telco or upskilling data and ai in telco okay um so i've been in in telco 13 14 years now um and i've touched uh i, I would be um, you know happy to say i've touched almost various different data assets and and I, i'll probably tell you something that's uniquely very different about telco is that if you think about um uh, a lot of the other tech companies, a lot of their data sources come from probably one, two, three maximum, uh, uh, you know, uh, where it comes from single source repositories. So it's probably coming from the app. Uh, so if you think about all the app unicorns in the world, a lot of data comes from the app. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that becomes their primary data asset to build machine learning, data pipelines, capabilities, et cetera. But if you think about the telco, data comes from so many different sources. Billing is, 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 is in, a, in a world on its own. Networking is in the world. So we also have the app data. So the complication of basically building machine learning models requires to basically bring in together, and that's a data engineering mammoth in its own. So, so there was a question that I think was thrown uh, you know, a, a year or two ago about, why don't we see telcos, you know, uh, you know, because, because we have a wealth of data and we should have become unicorns. Telco should have gone into to become a, a unicorn-related companies to be able to monetize them because I felt that it was it was challenging if you didn't know how to stitch all these data assets together. So, so, so me, that's that's very important. So uh, when 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 I look back, uh, we uh, you know Telco as they started to bring data sets together to understand opportunity, the workforce that we we inherit didn't have the level of capabilities of what the Googles, the Amazons, or or the, the big tech giants in the world was actually having these very core skills of data engineering in the first place to be able to stitch these things together. And then if you talk about only when you stitch and you got everything together, could you basically, you need to understand the domain because telco is, is relatively a retail company. Telco is relatively a consumer company. Telco is relatively a supply chain company. Telco is relatively, so this is a, 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 a takeaway that I've actually got from my CEO because my CEO used to say this to me, actually you're quite fortunate to be in telco leading the data and AI because you happen to be touching and doing use cases for finance, for telco, for operations. So you need so many different diversity of skill sets. So what, what we, we figured out after a long series of experimentations ourselves is that the best thing to do is to be able to have a very strong 
talent hub mm-hmm. that's very, very matured when you talk about data engineering practices yep. and machine learning practices. You don't need what, tons of them, but you need a significant amount to be able to do this at scale. The secondary level is that you have those guys in Telco right now that's basically doing your operations, network yep. operations, consumer, uh, you know, uh, consumer capabilities, you're doing supply chain, you're doing et cetera, et cetera. You got to get these groups of people data fight that you improve their level of literacy that they could work and eventually uh, you know, drive this kind of use case. It could never be the worst around because you can never get this talent hub to be able to go and learn so many different domains. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of companies were trying to figure out what was the art and science to be able to maximize the current workforce capabilities to drive this value. And, and I felt that we've experimented uh, you know, a fair share of what we wanted to actually hit a point that we felt that team and then embed all those core functions, which is typically my spokes across retail, across sales, across you know, uh, uh, sales, et cetera. And then you put them together and you elevate their levels of skill sets and so that they can basically buy their use cases themselves. So that, that's how uh, we, we have kind of done it uh, here. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> and it worked, I, I guess. Fantastic. I, I, uh, I, I love the, the examples that are specific to telco. And I, I understand completely that telco is, is one of these industries where you touch everything. You virtually touch every vertical. Um, how, how long does it take to go through a transformation, like from level of maturity uh, zero from scratch in AI and data to uh, really w- something we could tell a modern AI and data uh, company or organization? Um, okay. Um, um, I, I think that's a very subjective question. Uh, it, it's a mm-hmm. very subjective question to where every organization is when they're first starting. But, but uh, it, I, I, I would not say it will take long if you have the appetite to be able to experiment fast and to be able to find the right operating model that fits unique organization in itself. Uh, when, when, uh, if you ask me this question, uh, you know, uh, maybe what, four years ago, I would say that I think to transform Maxis will probably take us five years, right? To be able to get all gears in check, to be able to become a data-driven organization. But we've probably done it half the time. Half the time because couple of things work, couple of things work. And, and it started by us identifying big opportunities that would probably nudge the company's uh, financial levers. That's one, improving operational efficiency is two, and then basically getting the support from, from you know, top executives. And, and I think that one accelerated our you know, trajectory of becoming a data and AI driven organization. So I think uh, um, I would say is that it really depends on, on how you've actually set up, identifying every single opportunity of you know, making maximum value. And, and you can probably do it in half the time, whatever that time could be, you can actually do, and you just got to experiment fast enough. And DataFi, I, I think this is the secret weapon, right? DataFi, these experiments, Mm-hmm. Datafy the time to value, datafy your engagement. If you can datafy almost everything, you can use that as proxies and inputs to be able to see how matured are you growing in your transformation agenda that you can always use back to basically show that we're actually moving forward when there's absolutely no results. Yeah. Because the results is not necessarily those financial levers. It's a lot of different other elements that basically make up to the financial lever pool one given point in time. So I, I would say actually that. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And I, I, I would even just add, uh, similar to what you said, it's, it's that 
a transformation uh, has several pillars, strategic pillars, and, and, and you have worked on them very well. And I would say, you know, bringing the tools um, uh, is part of it. But the, the yeah. slowest part is to change is always the people. People are, are slow to change. And so when you say, I love the word datafy, because when you start datafying, uh, at first you identify how far are we from where we want to go? How far are we from the best in class organization? Maybe if we compare ourselves to the uh, big tech uh, companies yeah. in Silicon Valley, and then you know at what level of maturity you are and you can start driving up and measuring regularly. Um, and and I, I really like the word datafy um, and, and, and thank you for sharing it. Uh, sure. Super. Uh, well, I think we covered so many great topic, Ashley. Um, one thing I would ask you uh, as, as, as an ending question is if there is anything else, any word of advice that you would give uh, to someone who is joining an enterprise today as a chief data officer or a chief AI officer. Um, my, my advice would be is that, um, and this would be probably just based on my experience alone. Mm -hmm. And and probably speaking to some you know very close uh, you know friends that's also probably uh, probably more ahead of me you know holding a role of you know something similar is that um, there's there's so many definitions of um, you know success there's so many definitions of what a, da a truly data driven organization is I think uh, every industry is unique every organization is unique and really spending time and really spending time to be able to understand the company's culture, understanding the company's appetite for data, understanding the kind of data you have, spending time there at the very beginning matters in all your tactical, strategical approach. And then the word that I've always used in this whole, you know, this tech talk series was datafying. Once you've understood everything, datafy everything, whether it's going to be in a piece of Excel or a database, you datafy. And you keep this and you start inventing metrics that don't exist. So creating metrics of identifying the examples we gave was how do I uh, you know, datafy the strength between a hub and spoke? There's, there's no metrics that's in the web that you can go. you got to create these metrics that becomes your steer of are you moving in the right path? And if you do that well, everything can be accelerated because you are already doing a practice that's data-led. And, and in order for you to become a data-driven organization, you have to be data-led. So it starts with you holding that fort and starting to be able to data -fight. So that, that's probably the advice I'll give to every peer that will probably be driving an, an organization or so. Very inspiring. Yeah. Good. Well, Thanks. on that note, I will uh, thank you very much. Wonderful episode. And uh, I hope to see you soon. I hope it was helpful to everyone, but I'm sure it was. Thank you very much, Ashley. Thank you, everyone.